0: This is a National Arts Center podcast. Welcome to the We Love Canadian Music podcast. I'm your host, NAC Presents executive producer Heather Gibson. We Love Canadian Music brings you up close and personal interviews with Canadian musicians on far-ranging topics from life on the road to the artists they find most inspiring. Join us every two weeks for a new interview. Uh, speaking to Diet. Welcome. Hi. How are you? I'm I'm doing pretty good. Good. Yeah. And you have made it here all the way from the Yukon. Yeah. yeah. That must be quite a journey.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a track to get here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's this is the start totally.
0: of, of a few shows for you. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, uh, you're going down to Toronto after this, and then out to the East Coast, I think? Yep. Yeah. Right. do out. So, um, tell us a little bit about where you're from.
1: Well, I'm from the a region in the Yukon called the Klondy region. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like south, let me southwest, I guess, uh, close to the Alaska border. Uh, in we're by
0: southwest, you mean southwest Yukon, southwest Yukon, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: The Yukon's kind of like a right angle <laughs> <laughs> triangle,
0: and you're the are <laughs> you down in like the corner? Yeah, yeah.
1: We're we're kind of in the in the bottom corner. Uh, It's in a region that is like super mountainous. Um, You know, Mount Logan is like, is in our traditional territory. So it's really high, high altitude, um, pretty spectacular, incredible place.
0: So, and what's the size of of the First Nation community there?
1: Well, my community, Burwash, uh, in my First Nation is Kiwani First Nation, is very small. We have a very small First Nation and an even smaller community of about 90 to, in 90 in the winter to maybe 120 at the peak in summer.
0: So, (laughs) small small place. Small small place, place. yeah. And I've heard you, I've read in your bio and a few things, it it often starts out with "Diet grew up in the bush. What is that? Mm. Was it really the bush? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely the bush.
1: Um, We... We had this little cabin across the lake, Clawney uh, Lake. Um, my my mom and dad were were kind of back to the Landers as well. It was like the seventies, you know, <laughs> and they they really uh, lived lived a very traditional life. Um, even for that time, was a little odd because right. people were trying to, uh, you know, most people at that time were trying to um, become more. Modern. yeah modern sophisticated I guess but they uh, we lived in a tiny little cabin uh trapped and hunted and 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 kind of that's how we lived yeah
0: and, and but your dad's not First Nation no
1: no, no he's um <laughs> he is uh, half Japanese and half uh, Scottish and um, kind of born in Texas uh, it's a really long like long and weird
0: story. <laughs> Is he one (laughs) of our, our, uh, what do they call him, draft dodgers? He's a great draft dodger of that time?
1: No, he, uh, so just a really segue into like uh, my other side of the family. Uh, My gran, his his mom was, um, she's Japanese-Canadian. Uh, her family, but they, they their family was sort of broken apart during the Second World War mm. because um, they they were interned, right? Mm. Like they, during the Japanese internment. But she grew up, born and raised uh, on the west coast of British Columbia, okay, uh, and then met a Texan in theology school in Toronto, like you do. Like you do, yeah. yeah. Moved to Texas as like a Japanese lady. This is like common Canadian <laughs> <Yeah>. story. Japanese-Canadian <laughs> in the 50s. Yeah. Had a whole bunch of kids. And then they came back to Canada. Ah. Uh, yeah, a year, uh, after the kids were born. And oh, yeah. okay.
0: So he had come from Texas, your dad. Yeah,
1: he'd live, No, he hadn't come from there. He right. came
0: came from there by way of He holds Ontario. his Texas heritage, but he's yeah not actually a, a big texan no no no
1: i my great i apparently my great-granddad my grandpa's uh father he was like the pictures i've seen of him he looks like J.R. ewing from dallas of
0: course he does the big the big like <laughs> don't hat, they all look
1: like that the big hat and the big
0: <laughs> white suit nice you know? <laughs> nice i'm hoping that white suit comes back <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Know. It's like some of these things, like the mom jeans are back right now. You know, it's like, and I never looked good in those, the high-waisted and then <laughs> they were, at the acid wash, I saw them come back about four days and I was like, oh no, we are no. not doing acid wash again. And then that didn't stick, thankfully. Thankfully, yeah. the kids today had a little sense. They didn't, they didn't bring those back. But it's, uh, <laughs> every now and then I, my mom always said there was like all the fashion, everything just goes in cycles. Just cycles. Just, just cycles. Yep. So that white suit's on, it's coming back. It, it will, I'm sure it'll make it come back. I mean, back. occasionally things, like we didn't see the, the big bell bottoms come back again. We saw a slight version of that. Slight,
1: yeah, I wore them in high school. Did you? Yeah, I did. Did you You rock them? I, yeah. I, well, I thought I did. <laughs> <laughs> when I look back on pictures, it's... Didn't. You're yeah. like, what was I what, thinking?
0: What? Yeah, I thought that was the same. I think we we're roughly... The, I'm going to guess we we're about the same age. And, and we were into the wall of hair. And, oh, you yeah. Know, like the the super... um, uh, What is that? Hairspray. That's what they yep. call still Super hairspray. <laughs> and then the kind of wings on the side.
1: Okay. So I was... Yeah, I kind of caught the tail end of that. Ah. But I definitely had a wall of bangs with like a double piggyback spiral perm. Nice. Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah. Not anymore. People, she doesn't have that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Thank God. So you have toured and been and lived and um, uh, traveled all over the place. Um, Where would you like to go back to?
1: Wow. That's a good question. I... I really love um, places that are northern that are not in the Yukon because, you know, I, you grow up in this northern environment um, and I've been really lucky to to sort of travel and play around mo- most of the Circumpolar North. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I, a place that I, I really loved was Greenland. I got to go there and spend some time there um, and make music and just sort of be a part of one of my friends's families mm. and you know it's so it's so different but at the same time it's so familiar right and i noticed that with other parts of the circumpolar world and and my goal like my my tour goal is to have made it completely around the circumpolar north so i haven't gotten as far as like russia yet but it's hard to get in there too It's kind of hard yeah, yeah. but yeah. I, I, that's where i'd love to i'd love to just complete that part of the journey
0: huh and so, what is it for people who are listening? What is it that 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 is the draw? What's the familiarity? what is it is it that it does it look a certain way? Is it the way the air sits on you? what's the what's the sort of
1: It's it's also very different, like vastly different compared like landscape wise. Mm. You know where I live is very lots of mountains. It's a boreal forest, um, glaciers. And and then you can go across the like Northwest Territories and this sort of barren, rocky tundra lands. Go into um, Nunavut, which is like also barren, rocky, but like strangely moonlike. Mm. Uh, and then you get to the ocean parts. You know where th- there's these incredible mountains that just like drop into the ocean. But what I think is what I think is the draw for me is it's light. Right there's something about the light in the north Hmm. that just makes you feel really alive. Mm -hmm. It's really crisp. It's like some you know in the in the the winter months or in the colder months the air is kind of blue.
0: Right. Yeah. It feels it feels different. And do you also um, is there any factoring in there of of population that that sort of you know it's a that most of those countries you've listed, and, and or at least those parts of the countries that you've listed, um, and at that northern Alt, um there's there's just not as many people. Is that part of it too?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. I think it takes a kind of like a certain kind of person. I think to to remain in the north, mm.
0: <laughs> uh, there, or to thrive in the north,
1: and to thrive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you, at one, you have to uh, you have to have some grit and some determination just to just to make it through you know a full season
0: <laughs> well and yeah. just to get groceries three hours uh, yeah, away
1: yeah pretty yeah. much <laughs> yeah or like maybe some of these places you know you have to fly to get there right. um if the weather's good you know like right. <laughs> or if you're there and the weather's bad you're not getting out kind of thing yeah. well so i'm thinking
0: about going to Calumet in april and i'm like is that a good idea i don't know if it's i'm um, just because of i don't know if i'll if there's if there's still you know here by April, April twenty sixth, we're not concerned about flying in and out of places; it just happens. But up there, yeah. that could still have a fair bit of weather.
1: Oh yeah, they'll have weather in April. Yeah, um, I've been in acahlo in the summer, fall, and winter. I haven't been in spring, but by April, it'll be really light. Hmm. The light is incredible. Like, I mean, you probably won't sleep for a couple of days, but um, there's something that uh, the your internal clock kind of changes. And and the the adjustment to light and dark, really I found that
0: both in the really I mean neither of these places are as north as some of the places shine. But when I was in Yellowknife and Whitehorse, both of those places had a and it does it sits with you, funny. Yeah, if you're not used to it. Yeah, like it's a it's a bit. It's particularly when I was in Yellowknife, I found it very disconcerting. This kind of and and I was there when there was the sun was up for probably twenty hours of the day. Yeah, and um and it it has this. It's not just like sunshine here in the south, where it's it just is like that for twenty hours. It Doesn't look like that at all. It does have this very different, it almost iridescent kind of. I don't know. Just it's a very like for me, it was like looking through something, like it it had this feeling of looking through a a piece of wax paper or something. The way it was sitting off of things, and but at the same time, super clear. Yeah, like it's a strange. Anyways, it's very hard to describe, but that's interesting. That that's what the the um, I'm often drawn to light myself. Um, and so you write all of your music mostly at home in the North. Yeah. yeah. And so is it safe to say then that, that it's, it influences your music?
1: Oh, yeah, completely. Uh, what I find really interesting about where uh, I'm from is that the population is so small. We're really remote. Um, yet at the same time, we're just, it's kind of like, it's kind it's kind of like taking a um, it's like a microcosm sometimes you know like my community can be is so like polar opposite different than than Ottawa let's say right. um however just by the fact that we are just we're humans hmm. we share we share all the same you know uh commonalities and with as far as how we deal with emotion like things like grief or things like change um uh, what's interesting for me is when I when I'm in my community, when I'm in my environment, um, it's like I am able to pick out, uh, pick out something very specific in this in, but still maintain some kind of universal lens. I don't mm. know if that makes sense. But I get to see things really close, like like close up. Right, you know, like uh, in our communities, and this is this is something that is, I you know, in the north is is hits us, is the the continuation of grief in the north is, you know, we we it's like you you live really hard, um, and um, but there's such a bond between people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that when you lose somebody, and this is you know like you're always, it feels like you're kind of in a constant state of mourning. Right. You know, there's, there's so many, like, health factors that are, affect people acutely in the North. Um, and then you compound those things with other things like traumas or mm-hmm. just environment um, and history. You know, you, you really get to, f- you feel things really deeply, and it's very acute, and on the flip side of that, that like sort of shared continual grief, <laughs> there's also an equal amount of positive, like life-giving, like this um, constant rejuvenation of spirit. I don't, it, it's a very sharp contrast and, and balance, but it's a balance. Mm. Um and, and it's really precarious balance because if it tips one way or the other, it really changes, like it can
0: devastate or or build a community. Mm. And so speaking of community, where I grew up in, in small town Manitoba, there was always this sense, and I've been back a couple times now, in both times in February, so like in the cold and the dead of winter, there's this sense, the sense of community I think is different than it is in in places I've lived more recently yeah. um, because of that harshness. That the yeah. sense of community of, for instance, even just going to a party, nobody goes home and without us all knowing and how yeah. that person gets there. And there's this sort of thing of of um, taking care of each other in a different way. And you may not know the person really well, but yeah. it's sort of this joint community care. Do you find that in the North?
1: Yeah, you're d- definitely. There's a this, like, you're responsible for each other's welfare, basically. Mm. Uh, you know, there's there's a sense when you live in, in, in a city that you have anonymity, mm-hmm. which is also kind of can be, you know, breath of fresh air every once in a while. But when you live in, like, small communities or in close-knit communities, you really do depend on each other for your your, your welfare, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, and, and it starts from birth. I mean, in, in um, my community, for example... Uh, you call your, on your your maternal side of the family, like, your sister's children also call you mother. Right. So you you have this, like, responsibility to raise children that are not yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody takes that responsibility on. And there's not just one grandmother or two grandmothers. There's, like, several. And there's lots of aunties and uncles and cousins and this mm-hmm. just, like, this huge extended family. But... And be, you need that because if you don't have that that support, you, you can't survive. Mm-hmm. And even today, you know, even though we have like all the amenities that everyone else has in you know, in like a developed country, mm-hmm. let's say, um, you still you still need that connection to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, sometimes it can. It's a pain in the butt sometimes, you know, and everybody knows exactly what you're going to do before you even do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, there's there's been more often than not in the end of the day, you're kind of glad for that because you know if something if something goes off the rails in your plans, hmm. you have a lot of people there to pick you back up.
0: And so, what do you think about the idea, then, of, you know, when you start talking about, you factor in loneliness, mm-hmm. I mean, people often think of, of um, places with few people, or that it's barren countryside, and, and that that must be a lonely existence, um, but at the same time, that anonymity that the city brings, brings a different, or perhaps more acute sense of loneliness. I mean, is it, do you find that, that is that true, do you think, that, that the city is actually more of a lonely place than the, the barren, the barrenness of the north?
1: In a, in a way, yeah, because uh, this morning, uh, Robert, my husband, he got up and he went out to grab a coffee and he came back and he said, his habit is just to say good morning to people or hi, you mm-hmm. know, like strangers. And uh, he he was reminded that some people are not used to that here because a lot of people sort of walk with their heads down and they are, you know, they're, they're almost a little bit afraid sometimes if somebody says, is like approaches you in a friendly manner. Mm-hmm. Like, what do they want from me? The nerve of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you want? To- Your <laughs> kindness <laughs> is intimidating. <laughs> but I think that kind of, um, you know, and it's just a protection thing, right? Yeah. People do that for protection, But and it's also the same in, in, in a small community. Like, if you have those little those boundaries you set them around you and you don't open them up it can be a really a lonely place yeah. um and uh, and here it just feels you know sometimes you just feel sad because you, because it uh, becomes a the habit becomes normal
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. um and i've seen that and even i mean although on the other side i see that in, you know in my small community too there's you know been people are suffering or people are in pain they uh, then sort of a natural reaction is to put up barriers and walls Mm -hmm. around themselves to protect themselves. Um, But without realizing that not everybody wants to hurt you,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, it contributes to that lonely feeling.
0: I think also that um, at least in a, in a uh, Anglo-Saxon construct that, that we have been taught um, to let people leave people be not to, not to pry into someone's life and if they need something they'll you know so it sort of compounds that yeah um you know and and we're trying you try, and uh some of what we're seeing with mental health these days some of the conversation is about you know asking people if they're okay or asking what they need rather than waiting which is something that we were we were almost in a sense of respecting someone's privacy um which in many ways i think compounded their grief or their uh, whatever they might be going through
1: Oh, big time. You know, I think, an, and you add, on top of that, you add um, phones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on top of that, it uh, or like technology and all, uh, you know, what I've seen in, I can only talk about my community, but it's sort of like a prev- prevailing theme that has run across, especially the North, is that feeling of isolation and loneliness mm. has been really compounded um, in in recent years because of the introduction of of like technology phones right Mm -hmm. social media Um, you know you people feel more comfortable typing how they feel rather than um, asking or Mm -hmm. telling somebody or they present you know we we present our best sort of best side Mm -hmm. um, in the public but what my observation has been, is that that approach, it, it, uh, it sort of butts heads with our traditional approach to living in community. Mm. Because the traditional sort of way of communicating is might not be that you're going to share everything that you're feeling, uh, in words, but it's that physical presence of knowing that somebody who's standing beside you um, has got your back. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you sort of close in that wall and you present something to the public that is perhaps maybe not what, it, what is the truth or mm-hmm. what is real, people get a false understanding of how good you're doing, right. um, which just compounds that isolation and loneliness and then you add all kinds of other factors in there and all the, the you know like things traumas and, and and histories and all of those things um, addictions mm-hmm. and then you know you you have what we are dealing with across the northern canada right now is and especially in indigenous communities is um, is is suicide
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know it's it's a real thing it's a real that it's a sort of like a low low hanging dark cloud and it, it it's sort of people struggle with how to deal with that because um, it's not a the approach that we have today is not a traditional approach and so those two things don't mix together right, they don't they collide they, they collide
0: yeah, yeah. So let's talk about trauma and, um, and some of those things of in relation to the project you have going on with the Toshone language. Yeah. And so that was a, a language that, that, by probably some sort of scientific method, has basically been um, uh, removed. There's just how many? Three active speakers?
1: Of our dialect.
0: Of your dialect. Yeah. So this, which four, is Southern yeah. Toshoni. Yeah. Right. And and tell us a little bit about the project you're doing to try and and make sure that that's that uh, the history of of songs and that language stay alive.
1: The goal, yeah, of this of my of this project that I'm working on in my community is to bring our language uh, through song um, into like a common place. When I say there's three active speakers, it's like three. There's three people who are born into this language. It's their first language, um, and they are are active speakers, meaning they don't they even they they speak when they can. They speak to other people. There are other people in my community who were born into the language, but um, but don't actively speak the language. Mm-hmm. And what would like to do with like my my whole purpose in this project is to make um, our language through our songs more accessible, mm-hmm. and um, and and put it out there in a way. You know, I guess in some way I have like a public personality. You know, in, in the in in the north in the Yukon, um, especially in my community. And just like saying, it's okay. Like, let's do this. Let's learn these songs. These are part of our our collective history. You know this. By just by me learning these songs has brought such a greater understanding of where I come from and my history um, and 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 it opens up you know several decades of, mm-hmm. of unknown you know like I have we have our old history and then there was this time you know in the in the early part of the um, 1900s to like 1980 or so where it was also, it's kind of a dark time, mm. you know, and and that a lot of that history is hidden from us. So when you go through life not knowing what that part was, um, or how you connect now to this really old old way, mm. um, you, you, you've there's a feeling of like uh, um, um not knowing or maybe a little emptiness. But when I started learning these songs and I started singing them. I started to understand how the songs were made to, like, physically affect you. Um, It all of a sudden opened up this whole, without even having anybody tell me, I started to understand and feel comfortable with this whole missing chapter in our community's um, collective history. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of things started to make a lot of sense really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so I hope
0: that will happen,
1: you know, for other people in my community.
0: So um, can you tell people um, why, I think that people don't understand why the language would have been, what happened? What happened was, so uh,
1: history, like really brief history in the Yukon, um, the most, the majority of, I guess, like the onslaught of contact. So contact, European contact mm-hmm. uh, happened, you know, around the time of the gold rush. Mm-hmm. There was like European contact before, but it's very very minimal. Um, Gold rush happened eighteen ninety eight. Opened up, basically opened up the Yukon.
0: Um, and build a road, and all hell breaks loose. Yeah, yeah.
1: So you know, like it, it was the northern part of the Yukon. Yeah. So. Where I where we are, we were sort of a little bit protected from that. I mean we had you know we had French settlers and stuff sort of mm-hmm. coming in to the to around where we are in our community um they and it was sort of like you know they married into the community mm-hmm. you know it was really it was kind of a gentle <laughs> right. introduction and then second world war breaks out, and um the Americans need to build this highway right mm. And they build it right through the southern part of the Yukon to Alaska, and basically right through our traditional territory. Mm-hmm. That event in nineteen forty-two changes the entire uh, dynamic of of my people. So before that, you have very you know very traditional people, very isolated. You know, we're able to preserve a lot of of language and culture then this highway goes through and and yeah all well, hell breaks loose mm-hmm. you know disease is brought in you know that's like i think it was, i don't know the exact statistic but i think it's like 60 something percent of our community died right you know tb smallpox whatever mm-hmm. you know measles all these things that we never were exposed
0: to um and people think that that was a long time ago but it was not in the, in the 40s 40s and 50s
1: yeah yeah you know my the tuberculosis in my community like devastated every single family mm. um and and that's yeah in the 50s mm-hmm. 40s and 50s and then um and then the introduction of of like alcohol and uh, the roadway being opened um not that alcohol wasn't introduced before but it, in a big big way mm-hmm. this time you know um and then compound that with uh Residential school, actively seeking because the road was open. Hmm. Um, the, they called the Indian agents were were able to easily travel to all these communities and um, pick up kids. Right. So, if that happens when you you know you sort of are dealing with a whole bunch of health problems and and then um, all of a sudden this whole issue of of uh, you know children being taken. Hmm. It's kind of a miracle that that you know community even survives at all, right? Um, so then, yeah. So that is sort of like you know how how rapid and how intense um, the this change was for mm. for communities.
0: And I think you said something earlier about um, it. And it made me think because I hadn't really I hadn't really spent the time thinking about the. I've spent a lot of time thinking about the residential schools, but not about what it's like to have a community with no children, and how how. Dramatic that must have been, yeah. and how it changed um, the the face of that community and the and the heart or the the, the beat of that community. Yeah, um, to have you know of of how much a, a community revolves around the kids and the children and the and the raising of those children. Mm-hmm. Um, to have you know it's a it's a very systematic gutting of of the, the community. So, um, and so you're doing this, doing this project and it includes recording some of the songs, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's incredible.
0: Like, I, I feel really, really privileged
1: to even have been asked to record these songs. Um, it's sort of the premise of, of uh, this preservation project and it's, I guess, learning, it's going to be a learning tool. Like it's, we, we hope that it's actively used by all colony First Nation citizens. Right. And I say citizens because we're self-governing in the Yukon, Mm. so we don't have reservations or anything like that. Mm. Um, So all I hope that all like 256 citizens, however many we have at this point, (laughs) (laughs) it's a small small First Nation that we all actively learn these songs because even though you don't understand, you might not understand every you know the words, you might not understand um, you know on first listen what's happening. I guarantee it's because it becomes, um, this, this piece of you sort of reawakens to, um, a, a, and you're just, it's like an inherent understanding what, you know, a familiar, it's a familiarity mm. that, um, you're just born with mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Like, uh, um, it has been really profound, had a, has had a profound effect on me.
0: Well, I uh, I look forward to seeing the the finished product of that, and and really happy yeah. that you can be here with us. Thanks. And so thank you so much. You're going to be at the fourth stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this your, this is your first time at the new fourth stage, right? The fir-
1: Yeah, I just had a look and I said, wow, this is kind of I like, like so a swanky, fancy, <laughs> eh? swanky. Fancy. things are fancy around here there's a lot of
0: lights so if there's like any light that you feel needs to hit you in a different way we can make that happen here (laughs) we have all of them if anyone was wondering where the lights went they're at the fourth stage (laughs) that's awesome thank you so much for coming in and uh and look forward to talking to you again great thanks so much Thanks for listening to We Love Canadian Music. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast. We hope you'll give NAC Presents a like on Facebook and find us online by searching for NAC Presents. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NEC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.